Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Spoiler Warning Podcast. We are counting down our favorite films of 2023. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a theater near you, except for this episode, which happens every year, where we talk about our favorite films of the previous year. Um, yeah, I'm excited to get into this, Stephen. Uh, how you feeling tonight? Feeling good, feeling tentative. I am less prepared than usual in that my list has been heavily fluctuating all day, basically. Like, when I say heavily <laughs> fluctuating, I don't just mean the order. I mean, like, there are at least five movies that have been in or not in the list throughout the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Whereas I think you are calm as a cucumber because I believe you have a bulletproof algorithm that you're following this year, if I'm not mistaken. I, I do. We'll we'll get into it a little bit. It was, it was a funny moment where you text me and you're like, hey, we could definitely do it tonight. Uh, I just got to, you know, by this time I can finish up my list. And I'm like, cool. And I opened up my little app that I made and I went, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> but nice. then I was like, then I was like, I can't just go in co- completely cool and collect it. I at least need to jot down some thoughts about all these films because, you know, they may or may not be things that I haven't talked about for a while. Um, yeah. So I can't just go in completely free and off the cuff i had to at least prep a little bit which i don't want to overhype too much in case i ran uh ramble uncontrollably as i get to the things in my thing but uh <laughs> but yeah before we get into how we made our lists um why don't we kind of just talk about what we thought about this year sort of more generally and just kind of like what we thought about the year of film without getting into the list yeah so the, the last few years whenever it comes time to make this list I always talk about how pleasantly surprised I am and how many good movies or movies I really liked came out this year. And now I think all of that was like Stockholm Syndrome for the (laughs) pandemic era movie year where you had to really seek out little gems to like. Because this year, to me, felt like an avalanche of good movies and not just good movies, but like major directors making major works that are beloved by many people. Like, Like this is just a year that has a the list of things that I feel like should be talked about in a top 10 is over 30. <laughs> it's like, like it, it is just a very strange year in terms of how many heavy hitters there are. Yeah. And I think it's, it's been a pretty delightful year. Like it, it probably helps that I, we both made it back to festivals this year. Like we went to TIFF for the first time in a while. Uh, we did Sundance virtually. I made it to Cannes too. So there, there've been a lot kind of in in the chamber, like a lot that I was ready to talk about at the end of the year. And also, I just think there's been a good variety this year. I mean, there have been big blockbusters that have also been very artful and interesting. There have been comedies, heavy dramas, action movies, biopics. Like there's just, it is a very good year with a variety of very, very good movies. And it feels like a a wealth of riches that is not that every year hasn't been good, but this is the year that I genuinely feel really guilty about what can't make my list. So I, I think this has been a particularly good year. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, this year was maybe a little bit weird. I mean, like, th- this this may be an incorrect uh, feeling on my part, but I feel like I've gotten more cynical over the years. Um, mm-hmm. And that, like, there are things that have been high highs for me, but a lot of things are more middling. And I think that last year, I was pleasantly surprised by how much stuff I genuinely kind of liked like it seemed Mm -hmm. like you know I didn't have 
anything really maybe that like when i walked out of the theater i was like holy shit i bet you this is my number one film of the year unless yeah. something just comes out of nowhere and totally tops it it was this, mostly this is like, the first year where i don't know for sure what your number one is <laughs> yeah yeah and, and like i didn't know when i started making my list um and yeah. it was really my bulletproof algorithm that <laughs> that helped me out there but it's a, it's a thing where like i was like yeah i don't think i hated a lot of things but also nothing stands out because I kind of just enjoyed everything. And maybe that was the state of my head with, with mm -hmm. the way the world has been the last few years. But I kind of just enjoyed it. But I also think that there was a lot of stuff with, you know, there's a lot of work travel. There was a lot of personal travel. There's a lot of things that if it weren't for the festivals, I think I would be way under the numbers yeah. this year than what a normal year was. Like, I think when I when I went back through and started adding everything to my, my, my app, like I... I started putting everything in and I think before I started adding festival things, I was only at like 48, um, which seems insane because I know there's been a year in the past where just seeing normal standard releases, we were seeing like two to three a week, <laughs> like just mm -hmm. just in the theater where with the general population. And I think that having it be like something like 48 seemed seemed way under the mark. There's also... There's also a possibility that there are things that somehow I missed when I was compiling everything into my list that like you're going to bring up and I'm like, oh, shit, that's right. We did see that film. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, that that is one of the the that's one of the pain points of us kind of keeping our list from each other before we sit down to record, because like there are times where we would make a gentleman's agreement on which things don't even count as this year, even if they yeah. did technically come out in this year, because people may have had access to them last year. Um, but without actually comparing anything to each other, we can't say like, oh, did you forget about this film and go, oh, yeah. And you can't say, oh, I don't know if we can count that one. <laughs> so, right. So, I mean, I have long ago abandoned the rules like most critics groups or whatever their rule is it had to have a u.s release yeah. in that year to count my rule has always been if i went to a festival and saw it that year it counts otherwise if i didn't go to that festival but next year it comes out in the u.s i'm counting that <laughs> like so it is a, it is a totally <laughs> egocentric <laughs> rule but it's it's the one i follow yeah, yeah I, if i, I had access to watch it it counts <laughs> I, I just did a quick tally and it looks like Probably not including stragglers that Letterbox thinks were 2023, but didn't really come out, or Letterbox thinks they're 2022, but didn't really come out until this year. I'm yeah. at 119 for last year, um, so ar around where I normally am in terms of number of movies that I saw. But I, I feel like this was a year where, if I were to like show averages of what I rated things, the average is probably like above a 3.5, and I think it's because I was selective this year where I most of the time only watched a thing if I felt like I might really like it. We, we yeah. didn't have a whole lot of the, like, let's go watch this piece of shit <laughs> in theaters <laughs> <laughs> episodes that we normally do, or we certainly did in the 2020 to 2022 era of, <laughs> fuck, what are we going to talk about? Trolls? Sure. Fine. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think, too, like I've talked about this on past episodes, that you and I both had a lot of travel, but our travel didn't always overlap. So there were times where stuff was coming out, but if I wasn't genuinely excited by myself to go see it, I just didn't go to the movies that weekend. <laughs> it was yeah. kind of like, <laughs> daddy's gone. I'm, <laughs> I'm not getting out of bed today. <laughs> well, I think we both, um, our lives have gotten busier probably, and we have more things on our plate that we could be doing other than going to the movies. And I've also, as with most years, I've been going back and watching a bunch of old movies too. So yeah. for the last few months, on any given night or weekend, 
I could try to catch, you know, a movie from 2023, or I could watch a movie from the 1950s. And most of the time I picked, like, I watched, I think, like, 82 movies from the 50s in the last <laughs> quarter. Like, it's been a kind of chaotic few months. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I really left the new releases for things that I was genuinely excited for, not, like, ironically excited for. Yeah, yeah. So no, no cocaine bear or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, I guess we did watch Cocaine Bear. <laughs> yeah, we did do a review of that one. I'm sure we did a few fun reviews of things that weren't good. But yeah, for the no. most part, even when I look at things I rated low, they're mostly movies that were like kind of critically beloved that didn't work for me, like Napoleon or something. Like they're almost <laughs> never like, oh, I watched the like, you know, the Care Bears live action movie or whatever. Like, like <laughs> I don't know. It's been an interesting year. I think more than of the 120 movies that I watched, 45 are ones that I flagged as being potentially eligible for at least my like longer write up list of top 20, Um, which means like over a third of all things I thought were quite good to great. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about how we went about doing our lists. Um, so, Stephen, I know you just, you just referenced that you have a top 20 that you're working on as a part, but how do you narrow that down for what's going to be the spoiler warning canonical list for yourself? Yeah, it was really hard this year, especially because I've, I've set this task for myself every year where I do not only a top 20, but it's a top 10 pairs. So I have to think about movies that like go together thematically. And my rule is that that list has to mostly obey the ranking of my podcast list. Like it has to, okay. if something is really high on the podcast list, it has to be really high in the top 20 list. Um, and that means when I was working on this list, I was also thinking about like shit, but I really want to talk about this movie because I want it to be paired with this and blah, blah, blah. So I struggled. I, I wound up with a few ground rules um, late in the game. One that I've done a few years is documentaries are ineligible for the podcast list. That just helps me narrow down. You know, it's hard to compare apples to oranges when it comes to documentary and fiction. Um, And then another one is other than my number 10 slot, which is almost always reserved for something that I feel like is like underseen or under discussed. And I'm realizing one more because I called an audible like two minutes before we hit record. (laughs) But other than those two, everything in my list, I've seen at least twice this year um so these are movies that i like really made sure i stand by and think are great and that rule helped me weed out a bunch of things that i felt like i couldn't possibly cut from a list and now i have like an excuse for why i don't have them um so so how how far were you from your you said that like roughly around 30 or 35 or i forget exactly what you quoted are ones that like could be in contention did you mm-hmm. rewatch all of those or had you pared it down a bit and then you went back and rewatched some of the things that were fighting for those top slots? Yeah, I, I didn't even rewatch just for the top 10 list, honestly. There were just a few movies in my head that I was thinking, I really liked them, but I maybe felt iffy about them or confused about them or the audience kind of sucked or for whatever reason, I felt like I needed to give it a second watch to do it justice. And it just so happened when I was making the list you know, this morning and yesterday, I realized that if I wanted to, I could do a top 10 of only things I've seen twice. And it would be a, a list I stand by 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, part of it is just the festival thing means there's a lot of movies that I caught a second time when they came to theaters, uh, more so than in, in most other years. Oh, yeah, that is true. But, but yeah, the way this list worked is like my top four or five have been basically bulletproof for a long time. Um, 
I've known what they would be. I knew roughly where they would go. There was no question that they were going to make it. And it's the bottom five that have been just arbitrarily in and out and in again, just depending on my mood for the last hour or two. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of what what I've been doing is tweaking it where I feel good. I wanted it to be representative of different genres was the thing that I cared about. Um, and also just to hit movies that I felt like there are at least one or two that I put in just because I feel like we didn't get to talk enough about them on the podcast and I want to make my case for them now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is honestly more arbitrary than most years. And I didn't agonize as much as usual about the the permanent record of the order. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, in in the past years, I've kind of talked about, for me, um, I usually have a number one with a bullet, a number 10 that I'd like to go there. The things in between there, like usually I can get a, a top eight pretty easily, and then I got to find the things to go in nine and 10. Um, mm -hmm. And it's sort of a thing where like, I'm, I never have too many things in contention, um, but it but it's really about narrowing it down and finding the placement. Um, this year, I did something that I've been threatening to do for many years. <laughs> <laughs> and I finally said, fuck it, I'm doing it this time, is uh, I built a little app that's basically like a, I put in all the films that I watched uh, for this year, and it uses the chess ranking system to rank the films against each other. It's basically flick chart, or yeah. for people of a certain age, hot or not. <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> and uh, I, I basically built this thing, input all the films, and uh, ran it in like a debug mode where I could see the stats for everything in real time and like see how things are moving around, wins and losses for each film. Um, and I basically like, I treated it super clinical. I was like, I don't know what my films are going to be. I'm going to go in and just over the course of the next few weeks, I'm just like every day going to do a few loops through it. And unlike Flickchart, I had it set up so that every film has to have a pairing before the entire list of films can go recycle again. Mm. And then, mm. so every, every list is sorted by how many times it's it's been in a matchup and a random ID so that the order changes a bit. And then you could constantly go through it. So I can see, oh, I'm on loop 25 now. I'm on loop 37. And I can go through and I'm doing all 91 films before I can do an entire new match of everything. And it really, yeah. it becomes interesting to think about your films in a way where you're like, it's not just like, oh yeah, this is my favorite film of the year. It's like, this film or this film? Well, clearly this film is the winner. Okay, this film, this one. Ooh, that's a tough one. Hmm, let me see. Okay, I'm going to go with this one. And it becomes like, I kind of gamified it for myself and kind of yeah. went through. And then I also built a, a nice, fun little way where like if I thought the list was looking weird, I could do, instead of it being randomized by how many times it's been reviewed, it would be uh, best to worst or worst to best. Yeah, yeah, be no, yeah, yeah best to worst or worst to best. So, so, I so could you start can basically from the bottom. bubble sort it at the end, or like go go through and nudge it yeah. up or down depending on how you feel. And, and it's still, it's not, it's not me nudging things. It's still doing the pairings, but right. it's pairing within a, a a distance from the other ones. So that way you mm -hmm. can do some because that that adjustment happens a lot more than because the way the chess ranking system goes is you know you earn fewer points if you win against a film that you should have won against probability wise. Yeah. Um. So it became a thing where like I was doing it and I was just kind of having fun doing it. And then every once in a while I'd open the list and I'd look at it. I'd be like, could this be my list? I'd be like, this could be my list. And I kind of screenshot it. <laughs> and then I then I continue doing the the things and like you know the the top the top. The top one stayed as the top one. Yeah, it, yeah it, sure. like I, I have for fun. I'm, I'm giving the uh, percentage of wins of matchups with every film that I give. Um, 
the top film is obviously the only film that had a hundred percent win rate against mm -hmm. all other films in the list, and that's how it got there. Um, yeah. But it's interesting to see like how a film rises or falls over time, depending on which way you're sorting things and stuff like that, and kind of just. I just had a fun time kind of seeing these matchups. And then there was a bunch of times where I I was going to send you screenshots of like individual pairings. But then because I was running it in this debug mode where I could see all the numbers and stuff, I didn't want you to see those numbers. So I was like, ah, oh, screw it. It's just I'll tell them one day. <laughs> but there's yeah. no, there some good pairings. And, and just, to, just to underline for people who didn't catch this nuance, Christopher wrote an app for himself to make this list for you today. Uh, I started a spreadsheet yesterday, so one of us has been far more devoted <laughs> yeah. to the well, podcast. I may have been working on this app instead of editing episodes mm. of the podcast, so don't give me too and much praise. And I believe praise. You, you gave it a trial run in Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. I think so, you did a version of ranking the TIFF movies. Yeah, so the the thing I've been working on for a while was way too centered on user interface and like having all the images from the movies and descriptions and mm -hmm. categorizing by which festival it was in and all this kind of stuff. And I never got to the actual ranking part because I was working on the other UI. And this time I mm -hmm. said, fuck it. Basically archive that entire project, start a fresh project, write it off from scratch and input everything manually and then just work on just the ranking part and then all the debug information so I can kind of see it. So it's, it's I had a good time. It's not something that's shareable in its current state yeah. because nobody would look at this app of just plain text with a bunch of numbers scrawled out all over it. But I was super stoked about it. I had a great time and it made it made my uh, my, my film rankings kind of true to like, not, not the list that I would want people to see necessarily, but the, the list that is my truth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like that because a thing about lists that are, it's very hard to explain to people who haven't done it is they're not transitive necessarily. Like it isn't like if there's a number seven movie and a number nine movie, the number seven is definitely head to head better than number nine all the time. Like yeah. it's weird. It's more like, God, I really like this movie. I probably like this movie more, but this movie has to be here for reasons I can't explain. Like it, yeah, it, no. it's a really weird nonlinear logic. And it's kind of cool to use an algorithm to... um just do it for you and capture some of that yeah yeah so it's a, it's a thing that i'm going to keep playing with over time and hopefully get closer to what i was working on in toronto um but based on what i have working now nice all right well that's our thoughts on the year that's how we built our lists favor oh I, I, that's one more thing the the caveat i always want to give which i guess is less important now is that i prefer to call these my favorite films Sure. Not necessarily the best. It's I'm not telling other people that if you didn't see these, you must see these. They're just the things that I enjoyed the most this year. So I don't I don't yeah. know if you have caveats at all with your, with your list or mine is honestly a hodgepodge this year. It is a little bit. This is what I think are just the best movies of the year. There are some things that you would call the chalk picks in there like the ones that are like yeah they were probably going to be the best and they are the best what are you going to do um <laughs> but then it is also kind of half movies that i'm like fuck it these are movies that i am standing extra hard this year that i want in the conversation and there are quite a few kind of glaring omissions of things that i love that i just for whatever reason don't feel as passionate about defending putting on a top 10 list i might have even liked them as much or more as ones that are on the list but i just don't have the same passion for talking about them yeah. so this is this is a mix some of it i think is 
not objective, but quote objective to my ranking. And some of it is just like makes for a better conversation about the year. Yeah. And that, that is definitely the downside of my other algorithmic <laughs> entries into my list is like, I, I, I have note cards <laughs> to yep. try to, to try to have talking points on these films because half the answer is like, I don't know, that's where it ended up on the list. <laughs> it also means I'm going to have no idea what your list looks like, which is interesting. I almost always think I can predict it, but this year I honestly have no clue. I know some that will definitely be there. Or if they're not there, it means the algorithm uh, has other thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Well, afterwards, maybe off air, you could ask me questions about things that I could tell you where it's stacked in the rankings. Sure. Because <laughs> that is the other best thing is I have I have a one to 91 list. <laughs> Fuck it. Do it on air. Every movie in my list, you can just like quickly say the number. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing, too, is like we came out of the festival and I was like, Agro Drift is the worst film I've ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. But... No, there's no way that this is actually not... Okay, yeah. yeah. Agro Drift is 991. <laughs> says it's number five. <laughs> uh, no, no, yeah, it, it was dead last. It uh, it lost... <laughs> it lost 100% of, of, course. Of, of the matches it was I in. I can't even imagine what you would have put under it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, real, the real question... Oh, I, I didn't want to say these ones, because... One of these, I have no idea if it's on your list. The other one I know isn't on your list, but I was going to say, of these two films, which do you think is the second lowest? But I don't, I don't want to potentially burn anything that you might talk about. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk off air later. It's <laughs> yeah, fine. we'll get there. All right. Well, it is time, Stephen. Let's get in to our top 10 favorite films of 2023. Why don't you start us off with number 10? All right. And one final preface. This is the first year in a while where everything on my list is something you also saw. So I'm not throwing out any surprises this year of like weird esoteric things that you have to hunt for at the last minute. No eight hour Uh, documentaries. No, not this year. Um, Maybe in my shout outs, I'll throw out some other things. Um, So my number 10, this was a really lovely movie that we caught very early in the year. And it kind of entered my top 10 slot immediately when I saw it as that number 10 of this is the kind of thing that I love that I want to root for. And I never seriously considered moving it. Uh, And that movie is called Shada, which is a movie we watched at Sundance. Um, This is a, I'm going to say, semi-autobiographical story about an Iranian woman who lives in a woman's shelter in Australia with her daughter. Uh, And they are estranged from Uh, the woman's abusive husband who refuses to recognize their divorce. And that puts them in a kind of legal, complicating situation based on Iran's uh, view of marriage and divorce. Um, This movie, to me, just had everything. Uh, This was a lovely, naturalistic movie about parents and children, which is always something that I'm down for. But it also is kind of a harsh social realism movie about laws and women's shelters and the way that the world can make things difficult for women trying to escape abusive situations. It's also a kind of tense, thrilling personal drama and a harrowing drama. It's also a complicated memory piece about a parent, something like Honey Boy. Um, It has all of this stuff wrapped together. It is just wonderfully acted. It was moving. It is exactly what I go to things like Sundance to try to catch. And I, I just loved this movie. And it is by far the one I've seen longest ago <laughs> in terms of being able to talk about it. Yeah. But I just knew this or something very much like it had to be on my list. And I, I really think people should check out Shada. 
Yeah, um, I was also a big fan of Shada. Um, it was one of the things where in my in my little ranking list, it kept coming up, and I was like, yeah, I did like Shada more than this other film, <laughs> and I kept selecting it. There were enough things that I was that were winning more of these matchups that it didn't r- rise high enough. Um, but there yeah. was definitely a time early on at the early sets of rankings where it was winning a lot of its matchups, and then over time started to suffer against the things that I had like more fondness for. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm also a fan of Shada, and I believe that should be available for anybody now, right? <laughs> I, I I think it is. Yeah, I think it played again at TIFF even, and it's probably widely available by now. Okay, nice, cool. Um, well, Stevens number ten is Shada. Um, my number ten, blessed al- algorithm it be. <laughs> So uh, this number 10 was, uh, you know, it was a big phenomenon this year. Um, it was a, a film that I couldn't see on opening weekend uh, because I was traveling. <laughs> wow. Is this is this what I think it is? <laughs> it might be. I don't know if it would be a good pairing with Shada. <laughs> but, but, but uh, my my number 10 film is a little film called Barbie. Um, Woo! <laughs> I'm so glad this podcast got Barbie on the list. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, in all, in all seriousness, um, you know, Barbie was a pretty hyped film, right? It was a thing that everyone was talking about. It was a phenomenon. Uh, Barbenheimer was like a whole thing. Um, you couldn't avoid it. And I went into it, uh, you know, slightly optimistic. Uh, it was kind of too hyped for me to be like also hyped myself. It was kind of, there's no way this is going to like live up to all this chaos that is sur- surrounding around me. And then I got in and sat down and started watching this film. And uh, I I was genuinely uh, really, really drawn into it, right? It, it, is a, it is a funny, clever film that does more with its premise than maybe it should have been able to do. <laughs> you know, like, like, what are they going to do with this movie? Like, didn't know, just knew Greta Gerwig was going to do something and uh, it was probably going to be fun. But I think I wasn't prepared for how much fun it actually was. Um, wasn't prefer- prepared for how much uh, <laughs> Ken would be entertaining to me <laughs> and the way that character was written. Um, I had an amazing time with Barbie and, you know, it. it I probably wouldn't have put this on my list save for the algorithm but like as it kept winning bouts against other films i was like i you know what fuck it like there's no reason to alter this list and shove other things we can talk about at the end other things that were around that bottom slot Mm -hmm. that kept floating in and out and bumping barbie away and then barbie would make its way back in um but for me my number 10 starting strong this year (laughs) is barbie i i I love it uh no shame i mean i I thought barbie was great it is honestly the kind of movie that I wanted to reconsider for this list and I just never got around to watching it a second time. Yeah. In my head, it is like a major blockbuster achievement. And I loved the way Greta Gerwig pulled it all together and made it funny and four quadrant appealing at the same time. In my memory, some of the stuff later in the film, like certain monologues and things like that, <laughs> didn't totally stick the landing. Just, and just so it, random it kept... monologues. Yeah. It, it, uh, it kept it from being something that I kind of obsessively wanted to revisit for the end yeah. of the year. But I think it's a totally worthwhile pick. And honestly, I debated whether I could find a way to squeeze it in or at least pair it with something so I could talk about it. Yeah. Well, it's all right, Steven. The algorithm made its choice, so you didn't have to. <laughs> all right. Those are our number 10s, Shada, or Shada and Barbie. Why don't you take us on into our number nines? 
All right. My number nine, I have to admit, uh, part of the reason I'm putting this movie on the list is because of the haters. Um, like Eric Adams, mayor of New York City, said once, uh, the haters are my waiters at the table of success. Or like <laughs> Leonard Bernstein once said, uh, <laughs> people who start disparaging rumors, they're just jealous of, <laughs> of my talent. <laughs> um, when I first saw Maestro in the Little Old People Opera Plaza Theater in San Francisco, which is the only theater that it played in here, um, I was pretty blown away. And when I left the theater, I opened Letterboxd like one does and saw a whole lot of like two star reviews. <laughs> pretentious piece of shit. You know, it's the walk hard you, biopic. I thought you trope. didn't read my Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> It, it it follows every trope in Walk Hard. This is just your classic awards baity movie. Bradley Cooper's head is up his ass. I don't understand what movie everyone else watched. And I watched this movie a second time just to make sure I stand by my feeling about it. Because I'm prone to question myself when everyone else is shitting on a movie. You know, I want to watch it again. I want to make sure I feel the same way I felt at the beginning. Um, I think as a director, Bradley Cooper just has amazing control of tone. I feel like every shot felt like a passion project that he thought really hard about. And it doesn't come across to me as being like intellectual or pretentious. It comes across as being admiring and loving. Um, like a movie Priscilla, which will not be discussed tonight but is another movie i quite liked i think it flows with an emotional logic almost like a playlist like it jumps um in and out of a life without trying to hold your hand in a way that i thought was really moving um i think carrie mulligan legitimately gives one of the best performances of the year i cried when i watched her in theaters and i cried again when i watched her this weekend at home on my couch um <laughs> i do not know anything about classical music I don't know or care about composers other than West Side Story. I don't really know anything about the music of Leonard Bernstein. And I thought this was just a wonderfully well-made movie about a complicated relationship and a complicated person. And I, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I was just blown away by so much of it. And I still don't totally understand the haters, but it's okay. Get behind me, haters. <laughs> and, and all jokes aside, I didn't, I didn't hate this film myself. I didn't, though, like it as much as you did. Um, for me, it was less about, you know, what some of the haters are saying, Bradley Cooper being up his own ass. And it was more about this film, you know, suffers, in my in my opinion, from the same thing that Priscilla does. Um, you know, if, if you weren't going to make the comparison to Priscilla, I was, where this is a story that is like, you know, this film is presented beautifully. I am lacking the insight into who this character is. Or the things that they do outside of the individual scenes that I'm seeing them in. And I, and I think that for me, while the performances and, you know, the effort going in to mimic this entire one-shot performance of like, conducting an entire symphony, like, while all those things are great achievements, to me it lacked a thing that drew me in. Like, I could, I could be in the moment with the performances, but the film itself didn't draw me in the way the characters drew me in. Um, so when I walked out of the theater... I didn't walk away disliking it. I just walked away kind of going like, all right, yeah, I, you did some stuff. <laughs> good, mm -hmm. good on you. Yeah, I, I get that. I think something either clicks or it doesn't, which is like emotionally resonating with this movie. And for whatever reason, I found this movie to be deeply emotional 
pretty much the whole way through. And I can't really explain why, except it just feels like it it flows with this kind of fantastical dreamlike logic. And if you are flowing with it, it's just a really, really wonderful experience. And I, I think it's an incredibly impressive achievement, not because he put on a prosthetic nose and learned how to conduct, but because he... <laughs> he just carries you the whole way through. And for for me, this movie was just really, really good and an amazing sophomore effort from someone that I didn't really think was going to stick the landing on round two. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, that was Maestro, Stephen's number nine. My number nine uh, is a film that, upon first watch, uh, I definitely had some issues with. Um, this is a film that I may have gone uh hard hard to the paint against a little bit uh during our initial review but it is a film that i've seen multiple times it's one of the few films on my list and this year in general that i've seen multiple times um and it's a film that i have grown to admire from a distance and not yeah. uh not necessarily in the moment because in the moment there was so much baggage that i was carrying into watching the film and uh present uh you know and and and, and uh trying to evaluate whether this was something that was going to live up to my hopes or what it was going to be. Um, and that is, of course, the film that pairs with my last film, and that yep. is Oppenheimer. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, the more you were going on, I was like, oh my God, he's about to Barbenheimer. The, the algorithm <laughs> gave us a Barbenheimer. <laughs> the algorithm knows. <laughs> the algorithm knows. Um, maybe the algorithm's become sentient. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, as I said, it's something that I've revisited um i had different problems the second time than i did the first time because i was able to let go of all the the wonder that i had i mean i'm a huge fan of christopher nolan and christopher nolan he he fucking makes some movies <laughs> like whether you yeah. love him or hate him like th what he does is inheritively a big spectacle that is you know he, he puts a lot of work into presenting you with something that that has impact whether or not you're jiving with the thing that it's doing um and i think that this is a film that like you know, the performances that are amazing, the cast is amazing in it. The story that it's telling is, I think I wanted one thing from it on first view. And then once I got that out of my head of like not having, like I, I wanted to, I wanted thinking Nolan. And what I got was feely Nolan, um, which is something that hasn't always worked with me in the past. Uh, I did, wasn't a huge yeah. fan of Interstellar, um, though now I'm kind of wanting to revisit it. <laughs> to see so do I. Feel. I really want to go back and watch it now. <laughs> um, yeah, because if I can rewrite the history for that one, uh, if I can just climb my way into a five-dimensional Tesseract and just pluck some strings that make me love that film back in the past, that would be great. <laughs> then you'd have a perfect score on Nolan, right? I think that's yeah. the only one that you've disliked. Yeah, and, and I think that, like I said, I carry a lot of baggage into Nolan films. Like, you know, every time I exit, I'm like, is is Nolan going to make my top 10 list of the year? Yeah. And honestly, for the entire year, I kind of thought, no, I didn't think that Oppenheimer is going to get on here. But then when I got into the pairings and I was like, do I like Oppenheimer or I like this film? I was like, you know, I kind of like Oppenheimer or I, or I at least mm -hmm. appreciate Oppenheimer more than I liked a lot of other films this year. So... It, it's there. It was close. It, uh, I think, what did I have for the other one? Uh, Barbie won 84% of its matchups. Uh, Oppenheimer won 86% of its matchups. So very close. You know, a little, a little rise up there. And, I, you know, it could be that some of those matchups were against Barbie. <laughs> mm -hmm. That might be what tipped the numbers there. Um, but, yeah, I, I stand by it. Oppenheimer, <laughs> my number nine. <laughs> I, I respect it, and I'm I'm very glad to know that Barbenheimer is getting represented on this list. I mean, we we talked about Oppenheimer at length, and I think I was more 
in defense of it than you are. So I have absolutely no criticism of you putting it on your list. I think it's a massive achievement. Um, I mean, it, it is really the maestro eight, of Nolan films. So, <laughs> it, yeah, sure. In in a, in a way, it is. It's it's definitely a very indulgent um, biopic that is chopped up in a way that is more emotionally fluid than it is telling a kind of linear story. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I can buy it. <laughs> so my number eight could not be further removed from Oppenheimer. Um, this is a slot that I decided to reserve for a movie that's more gentle, more wistful, more low stakes. A lot of the stuff that is going to come is going to be heavy or heady or in some way a kind of intense experience. And I wanted to make sure my list had something that was just pleasant and joyful and, you know, an, a nice time at the movies. Um, I won't spoil what was going to be on this list because it might make your list, but something else was in this spot until like five minutes before we recorded. <laughs> and then my heart just swapped it out for another movie that fills the same, uh, the same void in me. Uh, and that movie is You Hurt My Feelings uh, by Nicole Hall Center. Um, this movie is so simple. I, I think we recorded a little review of it together. Yeah, yeah um, we, we did do a review. Yeah, it, it, it's a movie starring Julie Louis-Dreyfus that is kind of hard to talk about, let alone justify why I would put it on my top 10 list. Because it's just a very quiet, simple comedy about what it feels like to be in a relationship, like a marriage, a friendship, a job, anywhere where we have to support each other and maybe support each other whether or not the facts bear it out. <laughs> um, it's a movie about the little lies we tell ourselves and each other. Um it's about the idea that maybe those little lies are more honest than the truth, like the higher level honesty of I love you, I care about you, I want you to be happy, is maybe more important than the nitty gritty details of am I the absolute best in the world at this thing and doesn't even matter. Um, you know, my friendship with Christopher is more important than my honest opinion of ska music. <laughs> Joanna's marriage to me is more important than whether she thinks the write-ups I spend like a week doing and then pretend I did in one night are actually good. <laughs> um, there, there's certain higher level things about like, how do you live through the world? How do you keep motivation going? How do you keep your morale high? And what do you do when you hit a point where you are just not the best and that's okay? Um, there are a couple movies that we're going to talk about tonight that have very honest, open depictions of marriage beyond just the grand romantic elements. And this is the one that was just the most heartwarming and kind of had me smiling the whole time with wistful recognition. So I I had a soft spot for this movie. I really loved it. Would it have survived your algorithm? Probably not. <laughs> but I, I want something like this to be in my list just to remind myself that this was also a good year for movies that you could sit with and smile and pleasantly enjoy and not necessarily feel barreled over with emotion. You could, you could just have a pleasant, they, they don't make them like this anymore type of movie. And I, I really love that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I, I also enjoyed you hurt my feelings. It was one that I was surprised to be clicking more often than not, uh, mm -hmm. in the matchups that I was seeing in the list. Um, so, so I, yeah, I, I, I can't fault you for the kind of, just niceness and and kind of small joy that this film represented. Um, for me, it won about fifty percent of its mashups. Um, it's sitting. Uh, you hurt my feelings at forty nine on my list of ninety one. Okay. Um, so you know it's respectable, <laughs> I think. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it enough, and I think that we had a fun time uh, kind of talking about that in our review. Totally. 
cool. Um, all right. So moving on to my number eight. Um, my number eight is another film that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a perfect film, but I think it is a, you know, it, it, it's, it's close to a perfect film, honestly. And we haven't done a review of this film, so it's hard for me to talk about it uh, <clears throat> ambiguously. But there is a narrative framing. If the lead character of this film was not a writer... It might be a perfect film, um, but I think that conceit kind of takes away a little bit of the magic that this film is sort of presenting to the audience. Um, and once again, big as ambiguous as possible, but, uh, you know, and it might be a little bit of recency bias, but All of Us Strangers uh, was a yeah. film that um, I have a lot of respect for um, what it was doing. Uh, you know, it, it's, it is a beautiful story that is trying to tell. I didn't cry as much as I felt like I should be um, which was at all because of this little narrative choice that the yep. whole time I couldn't stop thinking about um, but if I ignore that and I put that away what this film is doing is really beautiful and even though it's kind of apparent what it's doing the entire time it's executing it perfectly minus the narrative framing <laughs> and yep. and it's hard it's like walking out of it I'm like man if it weren't for the little thing, this would be a really standout film for me. But at the same time, I'm still like, it is kind of a standout film for me. Like, I, I really did feel um, that this was a, a beautiful story um, that, once again, we haven't done a full review for. I don't know if we ever will, um, but I, 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 I really like what it did, and I have great appreciation for it. And in the matchups that I was going... Once again, it might be a little bit recency biased, but it was hard to not like pick it over some of the other things because I do think it has a lot of impact to it. Um, yeah. Even if I dislike the framing. Yeah, I I totally get it and agree with you. This is a movie that I wanted to love slightly more than I did. Uh, it, it's something that I caught up with pretty late. Honestly, nothing on my list is something that was in my mad dash of the last few weeks. Um, and maybe that's because I just stuck with movies I feel more confident in my opinion of. Um, but this was a movie that I, I had heard so many wonderful things about. I think it executes its premise beautifully, like wonderfully. It, when I think about the movie, I feel emotional. Like it, yeah. it is extremely, extremely well done as this kind of wish fulfillment, the conversations you would like to have type of, th I'm not going to say too much more about it, but yeah, yeah. It, it is very beautiful and beautifully done. Um, the acting is lovely. Um, everything about it is lovely. And there was just something where I was never emotionally clicking the way that I felt like I should be part of it. This is one of those movies where I hated my audience with a passion. Mm. Um, my audience laughed at this movie like they were watching bros or like the whole time or last Christmas or something um, like they, they were laughing like they were watching some not last Christmas, happy Christmas, happiest season, whatever, whatever the, yeah, uh, yeah, the yeah. queer Christmas rom-com was. My audience was laughing at every conversation between this character and other people in his life as if it were like, a, oh, my gosh, I remember stuff like that. Ha 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 ha. And in my head, I was like, this is a mournful wistful beautiful movie and you're killing it and so i kind of feel like they kept me from being able to love it and i've been meaning to watch it again with headphones when it comes out just to see if it works its magic on me but yeah i honestly in a head-to-head -head, i think this would do very well for me too because it is a very powerful accomplishment and it is made with a precision that is hard to beat like it really nails the assignment yeah 
Cool. Um, those were our number eights. So you want to take us on into number seven? Yeah, my number seven is a weird one because this is a movie that I both felt like had to exist on this list. For a while, I had it very high on the list. And also, I had many iterations today where it wasn't there <laughs> at all. Um, and I think it's because this is a movie that people take for granted or it's so popular that it feels like it's not worth commenting on. But it's real. It's totemic. It's a movie you've already mentioned, which I didn't talk about too much. It's Oppenheimer. Um, the Oppenheimer is obviously a heavy movie with a lot of moral things on its mind. But I feel like there are dozens of movies this year that were more intense and fearless and heavy than that. Like, that isn't what I love about it. What I think is impressive about Oppenheimer is the way Nolan manages to dig into a very personal philosophical story while being massive, audience drawing, spectacular, immersive. It is the thing that only he does, and he does it so well. Um, I might be ripping this off from something I read a long time ago. I honestly don't remember. Um, but this is the sort of movie that basically teaches you how to watch it. Like, it just opens, and it is what it is, however it wants to be it. It's this, like, nonlinear thing that is chaotic, like particles colliding. Um, and it just says, watch me. You're going to get it. Buckle in. Yeah. And it it executes on it so well. There's a moment, probably an hour and a half, two hours into this movie, um, a, a moment where the audio suddenly goes out that I think is one of the most powerful theatrical experiences I had this year. And the fact that this is a movie that also had a massive audience, made a ton of money, and brought that kind of heaviness and moral questioning to the masses, I think it's just a huge achievement. Like, honestly, like Barbie. Like, I think these are both movies that just, they managed to be 100% true to themselves while also being big blockbuster successes. And I just really, really, really respect that. So Oppenheimer, it's one of those things that I'd say is like the chalk pick in that, like, yeah, it's one of the best of the year. It's maybe not that exciting to call one of the best of the year, but it, it is... And it's a very impressive achievement. Yeah, obviously, I was already on my list, so I already agree. <laughs> um, so I will just move on into my number seven. Um, and before I do that, I do have to do a slight digression about the algorithm. Um, mm -hmm. One of the downsides about what, the way I set up the algorithm is that I, it was very important to me that every film received the same number of rankings. Mm -hmm. So... If you were to add a film late in the game, like, say, All of Us Strangers, it will Recency do... bias could push it really high because you love it and you've voted yeah. on it a million times in succession. But it is randomizing from all the remaining films. So in, the in theory, it will lose against higher rated things and win against lower rated things, which will make it not gain too much or too little. So it should mm -hmm. float it towards the middle. There should be some sort of wash there, right? So slight caveat that like things can be artificially bumped up potentially um, due yeah. to coming out recently because um, everything else was basically added at the same time. I did several iterations throughout the entire list and then new things were added to the list, which got bumped up. Um, yeah. And of course, I am not talking about Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think you were okay. Just making sure, dude. How, what, 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 how funny would that be if I was like, my number seven is Ferrari? Uh, <laughs> I hated this movie, but the algorithm told me I had to do it. <laughs> uh, 
Turns out my algorithm has... I had a divide by zero error, and I didn't feel like fixing it. (laughs) No, pretty much. You know, Stephen, two films cannot occupy the same place Mm and time and space at the same time. Um, uh, But no, in all seriousness, uh, getting back to the list... um, this is another film that I saw super recently. Um, it's another film that maybe not everybody can see. <laughs> um, this is a little film called The Teacher's Lounge, um, mm-hmm. which is a film that um, I, I really, really enjoyed. And I've been thinking about it ever since. Um, to me, this is sort of, you know, it's a film that has a lot going on. Um, it's kind of a it's kind of a story about like how a community can collapse under like the the pressure of distrust and um suspicion around other people within a community obviously this is a story about a teacher at a school with young children but i think that potentially (laughs) it might expand to broader implications about society as a whole Um, oh yeah uh, but you know it's kind of like when you try to fix a situation how you go about trying to fix it may actually ripple and have ramifications um you know just trying to achieve justice does not necessarily cause the eventuality you are trying to get to happen. There could be other consequences, other downfalls. The way you confront somebody is about something, whether or not you have them dead to rights, <laughs> um, it can lead to other problems, right? This is a film that, that is about the messiness of what is involved in truth, of uh, trying to get at the truth, trying to call people out for whatever it is that you're trying to call them out for. And I think that like it, it's doing a lot of really, really interesting things. Um, and I think that all of the performances in the film are absolutely fantastic. And I really, really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to sneak it in <laughs> towards the end mm-hmm. of the year. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised um, with it. And uh, yeah, I loved it. And as I was doing my matchups, you know, it's uh, wound its way up uh, to number seven place. Yeah, Teacher's Lounge was great. Uh, this was a movie that was c- kind of duking it out with Shada for the number 10 slot, except I held fast in my conviction that I wanted Shada to be there. Because um, <laughs> it's the kind of thing that is small enough that I don't entirely know how to stack it against other movies, but I thought it was riveting it was intellectually stimulating it was intense it was well done and had me gripped the whole way through like i i think it's a it's a really 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 solid movie and it also features kids doing math at a level that i did not think kids that age could possibly do math <laughs> um, so you know it made me question my understanding of how old a 12 year old is so that was also important but yeah i liked it the the only mile it's not even really a criticism but i think the the fact that it works as a metaphor for society is laid on so thick. It's almost a little unnecessarily obvious. It didn't really detract for me, but I felt like it was doing something so cool. And occasionally it pauses to be like, we are a security state. And I'm like, yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But mild complaint. I I thought this was a really, really cool, um, interesting movie. And I I was really glad that it it may have fallen off a truck so I could also watch it before the end of the year. All right, Stephen, why don't you uh, back that truck up into your number seven slot? (laughs) All right. Or six, Um, sorry. Yeah, my number six. Uh, So I allotted myself one slot on this list for an animated film. Um, And honestly, Across the Spider-Verse might be the one I feel more passionate about or more equipped to discuss. 
but I haven't seen that one twice, and that was my arbitrary way of cutting things out. <laughs> so instead, I picked the one I'm still wrestling with, which is The Boy and the Heron. Um, I watched this movie a second time just this weekend, partly to see it dubbed. I wanted to, you know, hear R. Pats do his, uh, you know, do his bird voice. Yeah. Um, and partly to wrap my head around what the hell Miyazaki was doing. Um, like Asteroid City, which is a movie that I see very much as a companion piece to this one, I really thought a second viewing might tease out meaning, might make it easier for me to follow what the first time around felt chaotic and hard to understand, just overwhelming. Um, and a second viewing didn't do that at all. Okay. <laughs> it was still chaotic, <laughs> inscrutable, Freudian, totally illogical. But it was maybe even more beautiful and moving to me in ways I couldn't articulate because I knew everything that was going to happen. And it wasn't like a gut punch in a a very dramatic moment in a plot-driven movie just happened gut punch. It was like a this animation is so beautiful and there are sentiments being uttered and I'm crying and I don't know why type of beautiful. Um, it's just the sort of thing that I, it makes me want to keep coming back and chip away at it and try to understand more. Um, and there's very few movies that do that to me rather than turning me off when I can't understand them. Um, so I don't know what spell this movie casts on me, but the boy in the heron did it to me. And I think it's just a really massive achievement from an animator who it is amazing is still making movies. Yeah. Yeah, I was a big fan of The Boy and the Heron when we saw it at TIFF. Um, I also wanted to go back and see the dub version just to kind of compare and stuff. I had ended up not being able to make that screening. I had to cancel like sort of at the last moment um, and I haven't got a chance to see it. I do want to revisit it. I think it is a film that, as you said, is chaotic. I still don't fully know what it means. I... Maybe, once again, recency bias, maybe I just, I latch on to the very ending of the film as the entire thesis for the, mm -hmm. the film, but I think there's a lot more there that I'm just not fully picking up on that would probably reward more viewing, um, but yeah, big fan and uh, support its placement on your list at number six. Awesome. Cool. Um, and now on to my number six, um, which is also a TIFF film and also a film that we haven't recorded a separate review for. Um, but it is something we talked a little bit on our recap episodes. Uh, my number six film, is, which uh, won 86% of its matchups <laughs> in the list, um, is American Fiction, um, which was my number one film of the festival. Uh, but uh, is now my number six film of my list, algorithmically. <laughs> uh, but it was a film that, like, you know, I, the, the thing I wrote down on my index card is uh, came for the satire, stayed for the family drama. Um, it is a film that obviously draws you in from the premise, right? This idea of... Uh, you know, a black author who is upset with the uh, publishing establishment uh, catering to white audiences who have this desperate need to read things that they believe are quote unquote black, um, kind of trying to poke his finger, poke the eye of the, I, I, however, whatever the phrase is, you know, trying to fuck with the system by creating. I said calm as a cucumber earlier, so we're getting <laughs> idioms all wrong. <laughs> you know, it didn't even phase me. I was like, I was like, yeah, cucumbers are totally calm. Oh, they're, sure. just, they're just hanging out in that pickle bath, turning into pickles. <laughs> um, uh, but anyways, uh, American fiction, um, you know, I, I, like I love the satire. The satire is the fun thing that brought me in. But I also was so surprised by like this family drama that's in there. The story of a, a lonely guy <laughs> um, who is both trying to play in the publishing world and still connect to a family that like loves him and are 
from all like vantage points, awesome people who really, really care about him, but his inability to disconnect with them. And I think that, you know, on second viewing, because uh, it's, it's a film that I also rewatched, uh, we both rewatched it together, sitting fairly close yeah. to each other, but on, you know, a, a little bit apart. Uh, right. But respectable distance. <laughs> but yeah, we talked a little bit about it as we were leaving. It's a film that like the satire didn't get me as good the second time around, but the family drama stuff still was there. And it's still something that, um, that drew me in that I that I still think about. And I love Jeffrey Wright's performance in this film. And, and I'm glad that it seems that uh, people are enjoying it. Um, it is still one of those things where like part of in the back of my head, I feel like this, you, you referenced bros earlier. <laughs> it feels like this might be a bros situation. We're like, remember that like that opening scene of bros when he's on like the radio program and is explaining that like mm-hmm. to do like a queer film, you can't just do a queer film. You have to like wrap it up and make it something that non-queer audiences can enjoy. Like part yeah. of me is like, did I did I fall for it? Is is this like purpose like perfectly wrapped up for me to like? Am I also the thing that it's? I can't get that out of the back of my head, but I still love this film, and I hope that uh, hope that we're all in it for real. <laughs> yeah, no, I I love I love American fiction too so much that it's my number five. So we could just keep the, the conversation <laughs> rolling. <laughs> Um, I have the same thoughts as you do basically about it. So we saw this together in Toronto and it blew the fucking roof off, right? Um, We went in not knowing much at all about it. Maybe that it was a story of a novelist who was going to do something, but the tone of it, the fact that it was a satire, to me at least, was a complete surprise. And that meant all the the nervous laughter of our mostly white audience, uh, the way it kind of toyed with our sympathies makes us cynical and then makes us feel bad for being cynical. It, it was just a tour de force and the kind of movie that I feel like is a roller coaster and a firecracker. And I loved it. And like you watching it a second time, that stuff didn't hit me as hard. I don't know if, even if that were my first viewing at Alamo, I kind of feel like the trailers giving away so much would already dampen the satire a bit, which I find regretful, but it's okay. Um, What did hold up, though, is the rest of the story, the second half that we talked about at length in our Toronto episode, too, of a neurotic, cynical author who alienates people because he's so clever, he can't really even see them for them. He sees the stereotypes that they fall into, and he doesn't doesn't recognize the truth behind the stuff that he's dismissing as being like, oh, you're just doing that for white people. I think Jeffrey Wright is amazing. I love Tracy Ellis Ross here. Uh, Sterling K. Brown talk about the moving kind of melodrama side of this movie. He just fucking nails his part. Um, And I wrestled with the same question of, am I falling into a trap where a movie that I'm putting on the list here is very much a, a movie made largely for the white audience, right? It is a finger in the eye, I think is the idiom you were using. (laughs) And in a sense, I am falling for it and saying, yes, you packaged it in a way where it hit me and I understood it. But I also just feel like it is fucking electric and daring and a great conversation piece. I think it manages to be cynical and heartfelt at the same time. And that's just a brilliant combination. So I totally stand by American fiction. So... I know we did the, the the quick hop forwards. Now we're on my number five, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm afraid more of these are going to happen. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a chance they will. Um, all right. So for the first one that this may happen to, um, this is another festival film. Um, this is a film that won 88% of its matchups in my algorithm. Um, this is a film that is not traditionally a Christopher 
type film. This is a film that is mostly mood, vibe. Uh, this is a vibes film, which has very, very little story, uh, which is not, it's not my kind of film. Um, this, I, I realize now that I could be talking about two different films. <laughs> I, know, I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> one of them is on my list and one of them is not on my list. Um, mm-hmm. But this is the film, uh, I looked at the title, Perfect Days, um, which is the film about a man that cleans toilets in Japan. And that's kind of the whole movie. It's just him driving around town, cleaning toilets, going about his day, making small observations about random beauty in the world, and uh, listening to rock music. <laughs> and... Uh, I like I said, this is not a film that I would normally vibe. Maybe it was the mood I was in. Maybe it was the chaos of seeing so many films and just getting to sit and relax and look at this world. Um, I am not somebody who takes time to stop and look at random beauty in the world. But this film made me long for that sort of feeling. Uh, I spend most of my time in this studio with the shades pulled mm-hmm. shut. Uh, I <laughs> Making apps for your next uh, <laughs> best of episode. Yeah, I'm making apps for my best of episode. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, I, this film just worked on me so hard. And yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. Perfect days. Um, perfect spot at number five. Steven. Yeah, I love... <laughs> perfect days uh it is obviously in my list but it's further up ahead in a way that makes me think i'll wait to talk about it instead okay but i'm I'm glad you loved it because this was one that i threw in our tiff viewing of like i saw this at Cannes, i really liked it i don't really think it's going to be a christopher movie but god damn it i want you to see it either way and i'm i'm heartened to know that it made it so high yeah well thank you for forcing me to see it uh (laughs) in this case it worked out (laughs) <laughs> anytime um why don't you move us on to your not this film your number four yeah uh, so we've now entered the realm of movies which were guaranteed to make my top five for months basically there are no surprises here and i think y- you will not be shocked by anything um this movie remains the most electric viewing experience i had all year and even though watching it later in a half-empty theater kind of lost some of that verve, I still have to give it its flowers, and that is Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, I don't even know what to say about this movie. It's obviously a massive, like, in length and also in importance. I mean, a big Scorsese movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio, um, cultural landmark. It, in our episode, which everyone should go listen to, because I think we dissected a whole lot about our feelings there, um, we talked about this fundamental tension in the movie. And I'm going to do mild emotional spoilers, because I think it's been out for long enough that I can do that. Um, the tension was in the relationship between Lily Gladstone's character, Molly, and Leonardo DiCaprio's character, of Ernest. And the question was, Ernest loves Molly, right? <laughs> How can Ernest love her and also be deeply implicated in shit that is very obviously harming her family and her way of life and everything that she stands for? And we talked about it in the episode and I gave some thoughts on it. But like the more I've sat with it, the more I think that question is what makes this movie so brilliant and such a massive achievement for Scorsese and one that required that kind of length to beat you down with. Um He's doing something that another movie I'm going to talk about tonight does, uh, which is showing the boring, banal reality of hate, of evil people that don't even give a fuck that they're being evil. It's just so baked into their lives that they don't even feel it anymore. But I think he's really weaving a story of like this very American delusion of the benevolent racist, the white supremacy that's such a given. They literally don't even need to question it or feel a contradiction. It's just like, oh, yeah. 
I love her. What a beautiful culture. What a wonderful group of people. So amazing. Also, I'm going to take everything and annihilate it and smile and go to church and sing songs and not even care that those are two deeply contradictory things. I I think what's scary about Ernest and the people around him is that they mean it. They're not lying when they say that they love and have respect. And they might be dumb, but they're fully aware of what they're doing. And it's deciding that it's okay and morally right to be evil. And I think that is a really hard thing to stomach. And I think it's amazing that a giant movie like this managed to hammer that home. So yeah, I, I love Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, Nothing will replace watching it on the red carpet. It was just such a fucking cool experience to see it again. But the more I sit with it, when people ask me to recommend them movies when they know I do a movie podcast, this is the movie I keep sending them to, where I'm like, it's big, it's meaty, it's got heavy performances, it's got a lot to chew on, it has an ending that is going to twist and surprise you. It, it's just the whole package, and I think it is very, very, very good. Yeah, um... I think all of the things you just said are true. I just didn't like it as much as you did. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to make your list. Yeah. If it did, I thought it'd be like 10 or 11 or something. Uh, algorithm be damned. Let me see where it is. Uh, it is It is at 29 for me. Oh, wow. So it... So it, you had a good year, because I feel like you were still pretty positive on that movie. Yeah, so it lost... Uh, or it won... Let's see. It won about 70%. Of its matchup, so okay. it's uh, it, it did fine. There was just a lot of stuff that I I liked uh, better, and things things that I genuinely enjoyed. That I, if it made it in my top ten, I might have had to redact from the list based on what the actors have chosen to do this year. <laughs> oh yeah, yep. <laughs> um, but I I had the same calculation. <laughs> yeah, we're we're just gonna talk about joy though, Stephen. Um, right. Well, maybe not, but. <laughs> Hit me with that joy with your number four pick. Oh, <laughs> um, no, no, this one, this one, there was some genuine joy in this film. Um, this is a film that um, I probably without the algorithm, it wouldn't have been this high. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, this is a film that I really enjoyed the premise of, um, was excited to go in and see it, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think it's a perfect film. I don't think it necessarily nails everything it's trying to say but it's saying some pretty good stuff and it's fucking entertaining as hell um and that is dream scenario uh yep. which is I knew it. another semi-recent film at least review wise on the podcast you know it's still a couple months back but <laughs> if you're yeah, we, we missed it at tiff so we reviewed it a little bit later than we maybe could have yeah 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 but i just mean that like you could go back and it's only like three episodes ago but it's forever ago in actual oh, yeah. time <laughs> <laughs> um but uh but yeah i i enjoyed of uh, dream scenario it's a incredibly clever premise that actually kind of has deeper level of stuff to think about i think the film sort of offers you the chance to do that thinking yourself as the film itself isn't sort of really diving that deep below the surface of what it's trying to say but it's kind of a film about you know being the focus of everyone's attention it can be a blessing or it can be a curse or it could be a combination of both over time. Um, and, and as you, if you try to lean into that, to try to make gains from the popularity that you're seeing for any one moment, uh, it might be a bad thing to kind of call attention to yourself in a world where people are not necessarily going to like it, <laughs> what it is you're doing at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised that it made it this high, but I was also like, nah, 
I'm, I'm good with this. <laughs> I, I was hoping it would make your list somewhere. Um, I, it is something where, honestly, what you just said about the algorithm overwhelming your impulse is exactly what my lack of an algorithm couldn't do, which is, <laughs> I love the dream scenario exists. I had a great time. It's exactly the kind of movie I want to celebrate. And then the the places where I think it maybe fumbles or isn't perfectly executed kept it out of being in my list. Like, I yeah. kept being like, no, there are too many movies that I feel like from beginning to end nail what they're trying to do. But Dream Scenario in a pound-for-pound pound amount of entertainment I got out is probably higher than, <laughs> than some on the list. So, yeah, I, I love... In most years, this would be an easy, like, number eight type of thing that I would throw in of, like, Dream Scenario. It's a fucking blast. It's Charlie Kaufman-y. It's neurotic, which you know I love. It has a high concept. Nicolas Cage is given a wild, amazing performance. It is a it, it is a great movie. I had a lot of fun with it. And it might be one of my favorite reviews that we've done, too, in a while. So yeah, yeah. That it, was also fun. That, that, that might also be part of what confuses me. Like, when I'm just looking at two films side by side, and I'm like, here's a film that I watched that was all right. And then here's a film that was really fun that I enjoyed the conversation we had about it. Clearly, I like yeah. that one more than this one. Select that one. And it kind of like it allowed the algorithm allows for this sort of thing to, to float towards the top because it was a really, really joyful experience. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm going to move on uh, with a not joyful experience. Um, <laughs> so from here on out, we're in the top three, if I'm counting right. Um, and I'm yep. pretty sure that you know what my top three are based on process of elimination now. And the only question is going to be the order. And the order of this pivoted last minute. Uh, honestly, this was going to be my number two of the year. And I decided, no, let me end on like a slightly more wistful, uplifting note. Throw it at number three, even though I think many arguments could be made that the zone of interest is the best movie of the year, or at least the movie that most blew me away this year. Um, it was my favorite thing at Cannes when I saw it. I was totally like jaw on the floor. Um, when we saw it again at TIFF, even though I fully knew everything it was going to be about and how it was going to be about it, it still overwhelmed me. I was still just completely at a loss for words when the movie ended. It's just a harrowing, perfectly executed movie. And Jonathan Glazer is so committed to communicating what he wants to communicate, which is this numbing routine of unbelievable evil and the way we find a way to tune out atrocities not not think about the harm happening right outside of our walls you know um i feel like in the last few months especially when a lot of us have been very conscious of terrible atrocities happening in the world and questioning how do we live you know how how do you go about your daily life and record podcasts and stuff um <laughs> i think this movie is very damning and indicting and the exact kind of thing that the culture needs right now um i've heard some critics after the massive hype from festivals watch this movie and say that they felt like it was obvious or hammering the same idea over and over again intellectually i hear them Seeing it twice, I did not feel that criticism at all. I felt like this movie, it evolves, it builds in a way that is just massive and intense and keeps you sucked into a thing that should alienate you after a few minutes. Um, and I think it is just a, it, it is to me the most perfect movie on this list. And it is only the sentimentalist in me that refuses to put it higher than number three <laughs> in the top ten. But great movie. I don't think this has gone wide yet. I'm not sure when everyone will get a chance to watch The Zone of Interest, but it's A24, so I'm sure they're going to do it ahead of the Academy Awards and stuff. 
Yeah, um, I Zone of Interest, I think I said this in our review, is a film that I appreciate more than I like. Um, it is a film that, for me, I see both sides. I see the brilliance that you talk about, and I see the stuff that some of those critics are saying about how like you get it in one second. The problem is I think that like you're supposed to get it in one second, and then you're forced to sit with it for more than one second, because it's not just an intellectual statement it's trying to make. It's It wants you to actually live in what you're consuming. Um, and it's one of those things where I don't really want to watch it again. <laughs> um, mm. Like Jamie wants to go see it uh, this weekend because it's finally playing in the city. Oh, um, okay. And she's like, oh, you want to go see Zona and Interest? And I was like, I don't know if I do want to go see it again because I did that experience. I did live through it. And I, I, I don't know what benefit I'll get from watching it again um so it, it's yeah i mean i'm in i'm in this weird state with this one where it's like i 100 percent appreciate what it's doing and i celebrate everything about the choices in what it does i just didn't enjoy any second of it not that you're supposed to enjoy it's not yeah like it's not uh you know it's not something that's supposed to be like poor things <laughs> where you are yeah. supposed to enjoy when stuff goes off the rails right it is a thing where you could put that soundtrack behind it and change the tone of the film, but this is a deadly serious film shot in a way that's make makes you supposed to feel it as a reality, not a metaphor. Um, so love what it's doing. Yeah. I just don't want to love it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally hear you. All I can say, and maybe I'm broken inside in some way. <laughs> I definitely found it hard. Like it is a difficult movie. It's challenging and intense and overwhelming. But to me, it is not like a Son of Saul or even a Schindler's List where I feel like I'm necessarily being hit with very painful emotion. It doesn't feel horrific in the same way. It's a movie that I felt like I could get more out of on second viewing, and I didn't feel despair watching it. I don't, I don't know. There, I haven't heard anyone else express this sentiment, but there's a moment on the piano that happens in this movie that to me is deeply hopeful and uplifting and very, very powerful when you are in the zone of everything else the movie is doing. And I feel like there are little grace notes like that sprinkled throughout. And I, yeah, I, I totally understand people finding it overly brutal and not something that I'd ever want to watch again. And all I can say is it, I did not feel like I went through a horrible ordeal watching it again. I felt... I felt like I got more out of it the second time around. Yeah. Who knows? I might go surprise Jamie and revisit yeah. it, but we'll see. If, if nothing else, you can, maybe I was also watching it through your eyes or like curious what the rest of the festival going audience would feel about it. And I feel like seeing it with your partner might, that might be another avenue to experience the movie because you're maybe thinking about it differently, but you don't have to like you yeah. get the movie. <laughs> well, the benefit of seeing it with her is that, in my explaining why I don't want to watch it again, she was like, oh, should I wait for seeing it at home when it's on VOD? And I was like, no, 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 you should still go see it. So maybe I'll just yeah. make her go see it <laughs> by going with yeah. her to see it. <laughs> so moving on to my number three, uh, this is a film that, you know, I, I said at the beginning of this that like, unlike previous years, I didn't really have any film that I walked out of the theater going like, holy shit, fuck yeah, this is going to make my list. I love this shit. <laughs> um, this kind of is that. Like, I didn't walk out. Like, there was no world in which this was going to make my number one algorithm or not. But it was one thing where, like, whether or not the algorithm bumped it up here, 
I was going to put it on a list, even if I made it from scratch. And it's a film that I desperately wanted to make you watch, Stephen. And I don't think you saw it, unless it's one of the wild cards Ooh. that you watched. Um, wow, who's a fucking snob now? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. When I when I say the name of the film, you'll you'll know exactly why I'm saying why I wanted you to watch it, but I doubt you did. Um, and that's because my number three is a little film called Talk to Me, um, mm. which is a horror film. And that's why I desperately wanted Steven to watch it, but not just because it's a horror film and I like to force him to sit through horror films, because but because this movie's fucking awesome. Like it, it is a film where you know a lot of times a horror film will have a pretty great trailer, right? Like something that's like basically like a short scene from the film that kind of draws you into the premise of what you're doing. Talk to me is a bunch of kids playing this party game where uh, you basically hold on to a little like paper mache hand and you say, talk to me. And then some sort of entity appears to you. And it's sort of, you know, it, it's sort of a thing of like, how long can you hold on to it? And what happens if you hold on to it for maybe longer than you should? And this mm-hmm. film fucking kicks ass. Um, it is firing on all cylinders. It does what it does so well. Um, everybody in it is awesome. The mood and tone is amazing. It's creepy as hell. Um, I loved every second of watching this film. And uh, yeah, I, I wish we could have done a full review of it um, because I would love to know what you think of it, Stephen. Um, but yeah, I, it movie kicked ass. Loved it. And uh, yeah, it's my number three. What, what worries me is I've graduated into being willing to do like, I know horror fans hate this term, but quote elevated horror, you know, horror that's more maybe thinky than jump scary. Um, so I, I've been able to join you on some of those more than I would have like five years ago. Everything I've heard about Talk To Me is like, oh no, you're going to fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel scared sitting in this house right now having you just mention the movie Talk To Me. <laughs> I, so so A24 sells the little paper mache hand. <laughs> it's like, yeah, a, it's like a, it. an incense burner, but like I feel like I, I want to get that and then break into your house and just leave it on your counter. <laughs> So when you come home, it's just like sitting there. Yeah, I I respect the choice. Maybe out of my uh, commitment to the podcast, I will make myself watch it (laughs) before we have a next big episode. (laughs) On like a Sunday afternoon, bright lights everywhere with a cup of chamomile tea. (laughs) I think think when the trailer first dropped on the internet, I just texted you and said yes or something. I, I will tell you, I was debating watching Skinamarink this weekend just because it was on a list of things that I I wanted to help like vote for the film spot in Golden Brick, and I wanted to have seen everything they nominated before I voted. Yeah. And I told myself, like, no, I'm not up for it. <laughs> that, that That's another one I still want to check out as well. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we, are, we have now uh, entered the territory where I'm now positive you know what the last two movies I'm going to talk about are, and it's probably just a matter of order. Uh, this is one you talked about already, so I don't need to go at length about it, but my number two is a movie called Perfect Days. Um, I love this movie. I, I I liked it a lot at Cannes. I think it was probably like my number four of the festival and number five, and watching it a second time made it skyrocket even higher. Um, I just... I love this kind of movie, a movie that calms you, that encourages you to see beauty in everyday life. I think it is gorgeous. I think it is wistful. I think it it, it just does so much so well. I, I find it very, very moving and calming 
And I think it's telling an interesting emotional story about a character who's very internal, a character who doesn't say how he feels, but he shows it in his eyes. Um, it has one of the most amazing performances I've seen all year, someone who just can carry a movie with a look and a smile and know that that will be enough to communicate a whole range of emotions, occasionally in a single take. But enough um, about Oppenheimer. Song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sure. Good comparison. Uh, while a song is playing in the background, um, this is just the, one of those movies that is poetry. It, it's a, a a lovely, wistful gem of a movie. And because you praised it so much, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it. But Perfect Days, it has lived among my top three for a long time. And yeah, it's just 100% a Stephen movie. And I love it. I can't wait for it to be wider. Some more people get to see it. I think this is one of those movies that is very much a festival. People saw it and it maybe hit New York or LA in the last week of December, but hopefully, hopefully people can catch it soon. Um, yeah, I, I already talked about it. So I, don't, <laughs> I don't need to follow that up. Um, I can move on into my number two. Before I do that, Steven, I'm a little bit confused because we either have the same number one or my number two is your number one, which doesn't seem like that could be possible. So we must have the same. We probably have the same number one. We probably have so the same. I number kind one. of guessed we would have the same number one this year if I had to pick. Though you could have gone any direction, honestly. But now that you've gone this far without naming the movie yet, I feel like we have the same one. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure we have the same number one. It would make sense. I just, I guess I'm slightly surprised my number two didn't make your list at all. But maybe it's in the the pairings of twenty. I um, think I know what your number two is too, and it was in my list at various points throughout today. Okay, well, it's in my list, and Anatomy of a Fall is my number two film. Um, this is a film that... Um, it's an, it's another one of the films that I've rewatched now that it's available for everybody. Um, Jamie was watching it the other night, and I came and sat down and kind of watched, like, most of the second half <laughs> of the film. So yeah. I've seen not the entire thing, but I've rewatched it. And like, like the film that we're probably going to talk about in just a moment. Um, it is one of the only films that really gets what it's like to be in a relationship. Um, it kind of, mm -hmm. it is a film that, yes, it is about a potential murder <laughs> and the trial surrounding it. But what it is really about is who really knows the truth about what a relationship is and kind of what it means to, to have these moments of times when anybody on the outside of the relationship will see and automatically interpret what is happening and what it means. But really, it means the only people who really know is you and the other person in the relationship. And oftentimes, you might not agree. <laughs> and you might have yeah. differing opinions on, on what that means. It is a film that kind of, you know, has a lot going on. There is this mystery there. But really, what you're watching is a courtroom try to dissect a marriage. Um, and it's, um, it's it, what it's doing is super interesting. And the performances are amazing in it. Um, so it's a film that, even in the context of the festival, it wasn't on the top of my list at all. But it is a film that I still very enjoy, very much enjoyed in the festival. And it's one of those ones where the more I think about it, the more I really believe that what it is doing is super expert level and just like beautifully handling its material. And it's kind of like the longer I've sat with it and the more I've seen little moments or thought back on it or listened to other people talk about it, the more I've gained a greater and greater appreciation for what it did. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. Not only was this on my list at various points today, this was like number five on my list at some point today. Like that's how in flux yeah. <laughs> the list has been. <laughs> um, any algorithmic rating would have put it up here because I think this is a impeccably executed movie. Like it is, it, it is just brilliantly put together. It is so juicy. The dialogue is just crackles. It, it's a fantastic movie that is both a courtroom drama and an unpacking of a relationship in a way that is really moving. It's also, again, features an author and it's kind of about the stories you tell and the way you weave narratives, which is a theme that I love this year. Um, the only thing that made me at this point, I just decided what would make me feel okay taking movies off my top 10 list because <laughs> I had to drop something. <laughs> and one thing is I haven't rewatched. No, I have. I saw it twice because I saw it when I saw it, when I, when I saw it again at TIFF, I re-listened to our recap of that TIFF episode that we recorded in the Airbnb. And I was less high on it than I had been at Cannes. And there was something about it that for me didn't enthrall me as much the second time around. Since then, I have thought about it and it's like climbed again in my memory. Yeah. But that was kind of my rubric of, okay, I know at, at some point I felt like I liked it, but didn't love it. And that was enough to knock it off the list for now. But if it isn't in my top 20 write-up, I'm going to be shocked. Like, this is an amazing movie, and I 100% support it. I didn't expect it to be this high for you. I would have thought it would have squeaked in at, like, number 9 or 8 or something, but I'm glad that you liked it so much. Yeah, I, I think I think watching scenes of it again in the context of not watching a sort of mystery, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the first time you're watching it, you're so influenced by, like... The culture of crime dramas and stuff like that that you're sort of distracted a little bit you're not really seeing the performances for what they are so i think it really took more time thinking with it and and, and thinking over the themes of it and you know probably a little of our discussion of it and stuff like that to really let it solidify where it ended up yeah i'm glad and this also means we have the same number one which is always fun yeah and we can condense the ending of the show so you don't die of a coughing fit <laughs> all right uh, I took a short break to eat a fisherman's friend um, so that my voice can hopefully hold out long enough for us to finish this episode. But back to where we are. Steven and I technically have still not revealed to each other what our top films are, but we're so confident that uh, we know what each other's films are that Steven is going to say the first half of the title and I'm going to say the second half of the title. And hopefully these line up. Otherwise, this will be really dumb. But... The spoiler warnings, 2023 top film of the year is Past Lives. Oh, yeah. We did it. We I did it. it. <laughs> this, this makes me happy because, honestly, I guess 10 years ago, your number one was her. So you have been consistent, too. But I've always felt like <laughs> this is kind of my lane for number ones of a movie that is like a quiet contemplative heartfelt relationship movie and i feel so happy that we are reaching a unanimous um consensus on a movie that i love so much i mean we talk about episodes too where recording a conversation together helped me feel even more strongly about it i really loved the conversation we had there and i think past lives is such a moving movie about a a marriage, you know, a relationship, what goes into it that doesn't normally get highlighted in a movie, all the things beyond the the moment of falling in love, the romance, the amazing grand gestures, the 
the meat and potatoes love and support and openness and vulnerability that it takes to actually make a marriage work. I think the the primary marriage in past lives, even though it is, quote, at risk in the movie, is probably the most lovely, supportive marriage I've seen in a long time in a movie. Um, it's also a beautiful look at belonging. Um, you know, the character of Nora has immigrated first from Korea to Canada and then to New York. And this is about her reckoning with all the alternate paths her life could have taken, all the different history she left behind, all the people she left behind, all the women she might have been if she'd made another choice, another fork in the road. And I think this is just such a beautiful look at what it feels like to be alive and make choices and not be able to take those choices back. And how can you become at peace with those choices and find them beautiful and lovely and don't feel threatened by them, but feel happy to honor them and admire them as just a part of a life that you didn't happen to take, but still would have been a lovely life. And people talk about this movie like it's a love triangle. And I get it because Teo is a very attractive man. <laughs> and there definitely is tension in this movie. But I just never received it as a love triangle movie in the kind of uh, romance novel variety. I, I never read it that way. I always saw it as a movie about reflecting on your past, reflecting on who you might have been, the multiverse, the everything everywhere all at once of possible lives you could have taken rather than folding laundry with this schlubby dude who writes novels and lives in your tiny apartment with you. Um, <laughs> I, I just think it's so beautiful. And yeah, I, I love past lives. Yeah, um, obviously loved it as well, um, as it is also my number one. Um, people should definitely go back and check out our review, review 739, uh, where we did a full review of this. Um, yeah, like th this is a film that uh, definitely gets the award for uh, most uh, emotionally intelligent characters of any film of the year. Um, I, I, I think that these type of films aren't necessarily the thing that would always rise to the top of my number one. But like, you know me, one of the things I complain about all the time is like, People in relationships should just talk to each other about what's going on. This is a film where yeah. characters talk to each other. And best, guess what? Yeah. They understand what the other person is saying. Even when the person can't figure out how to articulate it, they know them. They know exactly what they're thinking. And they know they have their exact right response for it. They understand the exact emotions. They don't want to stand in the way of exercising those emotions. This is a film where a couple that is in love that still understands the dynamic of their relationship, how it formed, where they're from, what the differences are, what they can offer each other. And yet that doesn't become a thing that causes the relationship to be in danger. It's a thing that strengthens the relationship as they can be there for each other, as they try to explore these feelings that they have and these wonders that they have. This is a film that deals with what if, not in the way that... Uh, Who's the dude that makes all the romantic comedies where the, the bad husband dies so that the other... Oh, Nicholas Sparks. Yeah, Nicholas Sparks. This film is like the anti-Nicholas Sparks film, right? Right. This is the film where it's like, yeah, these are the decisions you made about your life. And yes, you can explore thinking about the ramifications of what other choices might have been, but you have a person that you have made an entire life with and they're here to help support you and you can go explore other thoughts and feelings and wondering what if but like like just like you know, i keep coming back to emotional intelligence like this film is like so like everybody should aspire to be 
as like the way these characters are and, and the way they they take they don't take for granted the relationship that they have they actually see it as the bedrock of like who they are and who they formed and like actually have allegiance to what they've built and not just like a thing where it's like oh the you know this is not worst person in the world right, right. this is this is i don't know i i, I just think this is a, a, a beautiful film and I loved my experience with it. As I mentioned in the review uh, originally, I was so scared going into this film that I was going to hate it mm -hmm. just based on what the trailer was selling me on. And I was like, oh, my God, not only am I so thankful that it didn't do what I was worried it was going to do, but it fucking did even better than I could have imagined. Um, yeah. So I, I it nails it. Yeah. And emotionally intelligent is definitely the word that comes to mind, which does not necessarily sound like a word that makes for a riveting movie. But I think this is so engaging. It has some of the most beautiful dialogue of the year. There are there are moments where um, two characters are just laying in bed, having a vulnerable conversation with each other that just felt so true and honest and open. And it toes this line where, uh, you know, the Nicholas Sparks version of this movie, jealousy would play a very big role. Yeah. And in the, I don't know, Judd Apatow, this is 40 comedy, there would be no jealousy because these people don't feel any spark anymore. And the joke is, ha ha ha, look at us, we're so schlubby. <laughs> and this movie toes a line where it like, it doesn't make it seem like there is a grand romantic spark every two seconds between the couple. And there are feelings of jealousy, but there's also there's like a love and an openness and a willingness to dig in and explore and a confidence that Nora exploring this part of herself won't topple the relationship over and that they are, they're stronger than that. And I just, to me, that middle ground of I am there and I care and I'm supportive and I love you, but we don't need to live or die on every grand romantic moment that is what I've always strived for in a relationship. And I don't know if I've ever seen a movie depict it quite the way this one does. And the fact that other people can read it as a misconnection movie where these two others have a beautiful connection is amazing. It just speaks to how much this movie can be a chameleon and people put in what they want to put into the movie and they find something honestly reflected either way. I, I do. I am very, very curious, though, uh, uh, if you took all the different interpretations of this film. And then you also asked on the quiz, which character do you identify with? I bet you there'd be yeah. a heavy correlation. All the Arthurs rise up. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, a, just a guess. No, for sure. All right. Uh, well, I, I will do more of the outro work because I know you're uh, struggling a little bit at the moment. Well, I mean, I mean, um, I, I think I could I think I like now that we're we're off the, the, the formatted version, I think I can just suffer yeah. through if we want to quickly hit some of the things that uh, didn't quite make it into our lists. Um, like one one thing that I thought oh. was kind of funny when, when you were in your in your number six, when you were talking about the boy and the heron, when you mentioned that, like. It was an animated film, and you said potentially Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse could have been in that slot, or maybe should have. I think I literally had that at number six for a while, yeah. and then slowly, the more times I iterated through the loop, it was slowly getting edged out. That was a film that I would have been super happy to have in the list, um, just yeah. because of what it was doing with that character and dealing with the ramifications of being this version of a character that, like, having to adhere to the canon um, in a way that is is a fault for most Spider-Man films becomes like the literal plot point that you're fighting against for this film. Love that. Love yeah. it. Um, 
Yeah, and I love it. I think artistically, it is one of the biggest achievements of the year. Like, I, I was blown away by the look and feel of the movie. Like, I would be so happy to have it high up in my list. And honestly, a part of what nudged it away, other than me not having gone back and watched it a second time, is just that the movie is about so much, I wouldn't necessarily know what to pair it with. Yeah, And so I was like kind of selfishly drawn to movies that when I look forward to a top 20 write-up, I kind of know what I could pair them together with. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's part of why. And also the feeling that it's maybe, uh, I won't say part two, because part one was a self-contained story, but this is at least part one of a two-part story. So I kind of feel like it's okay to wait until we get the whole one and then talk about it as a whole. But man, what a fucking movie. What a what an accomplishment. Can you make like a weird, crazy stretch to, co- to, to pair it with May-December, where it's like you're having to play the role that people think that you're supposed to... <laughs> Interesting. I, I was going to say you could honestly pair it with Boy and the Heron and the idea of someone trying to make the worlds line up and there's no yeah. way to make the world line up perfectly well. It's a stretch, but you could you could do it. Um, yeah, I'll maybe I'll rattle through. These are not most of these are not pairings I'm actually going to write about. But just as an excuse to talk about more things, um, I figured I would list a movie of if you like this, you might like this. Yeah. Uh, so for Past Lives, Return to Soul is a movie that I did get a lot out of. I thought it was really interesting and engaging. It wasn't quite clean enough to make my top 10. I think there's some messiness or ambiguity there that I didn't always know how to engage with. But the stuff that it does well, I think, is just incredibly well done. I think the first half of the movie is a damn near perfect movie um, and highly recommend that one. Um, For Perfect Days, I'm going to recommend a movie. When I watched it, it was called uh, The Pot Au Fou. It's now called The Taste of Things. And it is essentially a two-hour food porn movie uh, starring Juliette Binoche as the the muse to a a gourmand, I guess. She does the cooking and he kind of comes up with some new techniques and then does a lot of eating. And it's a movie (laughs) that is just about basking in the luxury of living. You know, it, it is a movie that takes its time it is very calm and careful, and it's just about soaking in the textures of life. Um, or if you want to do long-ass documentaries, the latest Fred Wiseman documentary, uh, Menu Plaisir Le Trogois. <laughs> I, I pronounced that all wrong. <laughs> Nailed it. But it's a four-hour documentary uh, about a three-star Michelin restaurant and some of the restaurants in its orbit. And it just is inside them, embedded in them, watching what it takes to make these things run well, which means there's a whole lot of looking and feeling of just people mastering the art of doing one thing very well and taking pride and joy in doing it um, yeah. well. So meditative movie, definitely recommend that. Um, I'm just going to blow through all of these to save you some time yeah. and you can, uh, you can hit everything else. Um, for Zone of Interest, I'm going to throw out a documentary called Occupied City, uh, another four plus hour documentary. So buckle <laughs> in. Um, this is by Steve McQueen. Um the the director who you might know more from Widows and 12 Years a Slave and movies like that. Um, and this is just a heavy, overwhelming documentary about his experience being in Amsterdam during the COVID lockdown while he was learning about the Holocaust and the legacy of the Holocaust in Amsterdam. So it has this interesting structure where it is kind of a unemotional droning voice narrating all these buildings what are the history what horrible things happened here what people lived here before and it will show you the building but then occasionally show you modern day things that are happening in this kind of ghost town that make you think about what life would have felt like at that time when everything was in disarray 
very interesting movie. I'm sure anti-mask or anti-vax people could find a reason to rally behind it and misunderstand it. I don't think he's saying anything negative about government health interventions, but I do think he is uh, he's doing something really, really interesting, drawing a line between the isolation everyone felt at that moment and the horrible legacy when everyone was kind of alone and couldn't rely on each other. Yeah. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon. I have two. These are neither of these are going to be the pairing in the write up. There's a way better pairing, but it's already in the list. Um, <laughs> one one is a movie called Godland, which I caught up with recently and really really enjoyed. Um, Godland is a movie about a priest from Denmark who journeys to early, like I guess pre-colonial Iceland to set up a church there. And the first half of this movie is all basically um, the loneliest planet. It is walking through unbelievably beautiful nature that also daunts and makes you feel tiny in comparison. But the movie becomes a lot about the loss of emotion or what it means when you stop caring about each other or stop seeing each other as people. It has some interesting kind of colonial undertones too, uh, in a way that I think just makes an interesting pairing. And another one, this is a real stretch, uh, but Fair Play <laughs> is a movie I wanted to get into this conversation. And I think Fair Play is an interesting look at how capitalism and toxic dynamics can make even the person you claim to love suddenly be someone that you are okay completely fucking over. Uh, could not be more different than Killers of the Flower Moon. But hey, I told you it was a stretch. Fair Play was the fun because I, I I disliked Fair Play. Um, yeah. But the funny thing was with the pairing things, there were things that I disliked more than it. So there's a bunch of times where I was winning the matchup and I was like, this better not get too high. Because <laughs> I, yeah. I, I was like, whatever makes it in. Like the, my, my only real modification for my algorithm was choosing a stop point. Right. Like I, my, my, my goal mm-hmm. was like, I will not modify it. Um, yeah. Unless somehow Magazine Dreams gets into the top 10 and then I have to remove it just right, because. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, makes sense. Uh, but but like it was a thing where like that, that was adamant about that. But it was just funny. Like every time I was picking it, I was picking it begrudgingly. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I really liked Fair Play. Uh, I, I was a big fan of it. And I'm definitely going to put a stake in the ground and say way better than Saltburn. Uh, I'm confident saying that. Um, <laughs> So uh, for American fiction, um, two movies that I would kind of tie with those right now. Uh, One, you already talked about Dream Scenario, but I think, again, it's this clever movie that is satirizing a social phenomenon and doing it in a way that is both playful and also makes you think um, and just fully commits to the bit the whole way through. And another one that I caught very recently is a movie called They Clone Tyrone, which is a kind of comedic sci-fi look at a... uh, a neighborhood where a a gangster, a pimp, and a sex worker realize that the government is essentially cloning certain black people to try to keep the system the way that it is. Um, the only connection I have with American fiction is they both feel like, sorry to bother you, adjacent. You know, it's a movie that is taking an actual social phenomenon and kind of heightening it and turning it into a satire that is both unafraid to be quote offensive in places it's confident enough to toe that line and also just has has a lot to say uh, they clone tyrone is definitely more of a comedy comedy i don't think it goes anywhere near as deep as american fiction but i had a lot of fun catching up with that movie um for the boy in the heron asteroid city to me I, i've said it before i think it fits so well it is another movie about 
someone dealing with grief and constructing this whole world where they kind of act out different aspects of it and try to make sense of this thing that doesn't make any sense. Um, Asteroid City is another movie that could have been in my number six slot. That That is how fluid this list was. I'm, I'm just shuffling things all the time. Um, for Oppenheimer, I got to call out Godzilla Minus One. Really, really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. Our episode will probably be posted by the time this comes out, though I wouldn't blame you if we had it out of order just to have a best of list faster. Um, yeah. But yeah, Godzilla Minus One was just a, a great movie that I think Oppenheimer, for better or worse, chooses to only show the Western scientist view of the nuclear bomb and what happened to Japan in World War II. And I think Godzilla Minus One is the deeply emotional version of what it might have felt like in Japan and emotionally how that would land. And it does that in an equally giant blockbuster spectacular movie, not a eat your vegetables type movie. Um, For You Hurt My Feelings, a movie that I again, really wanted to get on this list that I also watched twice um, is The Holdovers. Um, That is a movie that was on this list until the last minute. It is another wistful movie about relationships and people understanding each other and kind of the complexity of being alive and no person being just one thing. And I think it's just a incredibly lovely heartfelt movie that i i watched it again on a plane recently and i was just smiling the whole time i I think the holdovers is a really 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 great movie um anatomy of a fall would also fit in not understanding you know what goes on within a marriage is more complicated than you think but totally totally different movies uh we're coming near the end for maestro i'm gonna recommend the blue kaftan that is a moroccan movie uh that is about a man who sews garments by hand in Morocco. He has a wife, um, but there is also a young male assistant who comes in to work with him. And there are many aspects of this movie, I won't spoil, but you probably are picking up what I'm laying down, that are extremely similar to some of the ideas of Maestro and the dynamics of Maestro and what does a loving, supportive relationship with a person who is maybe not fully able to commit to you look like. And I think this is just the, it's the stripped down, heartfelt, naturalistic drama version of that story and i think it is really really beautiful um and the last one with shada i'm pairing with are you there god it's me margaret which i caught up with very recently that i fucking loved it had the eighth grade charm it was i thought a really beautiful lovely movie about what it feels like to grow up as a girl rachel mcadams is just fantastic as this caring mother figure in her life um and the reason i pair this together is so much of it is about mothers and daughters and what mothers do to try to protect their daughter and how much of that works how much are they unable to protect them and how much can they be forgiven for where they where they mess up or fail and i it's just a beautiful movie i could honestly list like 20 other things but i think that's enough shout outs for now <laughs> um just for fun i will while my voice holds up i will run through down to number 20 um which some of these you'll hear a little bit or you you've already heard about um but for fun, I will also throw in the percentage of times it won the matchup. Um, so at number 11, which won 80% of its matchups, is Bo is Afraid. Um, mm-hmm. I thought about that too. Uh, number 12, with 80% of its matchups, is No One Will Save You, which is another film that mm-hmm. I really wish we could have done a review of because that film also kicks ass. Um, <laughs> alien home invasion film that's fucking amazing. Watch it with headphones. Uh, it's great. Um Let's see. Then uh, I can't read my own. Hold. Oh, there we go. Some of these are abbreviated because I was doing the calculations for what it actually was. 
Uh, number 13 uh, with 84%. Notice that's higher than the previous ones, but somehow mm-hmm. because of the matchups, it earned less points. Um, Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse. Uh, then we have at the 14, number 14, which should have been in a world where I was making the list all by hand, would have been my number 10 um, honorary... Uh, what is the movie's predestination predestination movie and that's the artifice girl (laughs) um then 15 holdovers 80 percent of its wins um 16 wicked little letters with uh 84 percent of its wins um then i thought that might make it into your list honestly this might technically be a pairing just because the titles almost sound the same but john wicked little letters uh john wick (laughs) is my number 17 at 82 percent of the matchups at one then a little wild one here. Uh, number 18, a film that I'm pretty sure I'm the only one on the planet that actually genuinely loved, and that's Daddy-O, <laughs> which comes oh, in yeah. at 77% of its wins. Um, also, There it, was a world where that was going to be your number 10 in my, in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't quite make it up there, but I, I, still, I, still, I still really liked it. And I, we'll, we'll see what other people think about it when, when it comes out. Um, but then we have 19, with also a 77% of the wins, uh, Hitman. Um, which mm-hmm. movie also was fucking laugh riot. Uh, I really enjoyed that film. Yep. And then last, uh, also already hit by you, my number 20 with 70, 77% of its matchups one is Godzilla minus one. Um, so nice. that was the quick thing. And I'll, I'll throw all the way down to the bottom. The, the thing I was referencing earlier that I was joking about is, what do you think? <laughs> so Agro Drift was my least favorite film. And then there were two films, one of which I know you liked. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. one of which... You know, basically, I didn't like two of these films, but basically, my my eighty nine and ninety are the films Memory and Slow. Which order do you think they're in? <laughs> Ooh, I think your memory. I think Memory is the lowest for you. Yeah, yeah. Slow, I disliked it, but it it was doing what it was doing. I just didn't yeah. like. I didn't think it actually had enough to say about its premise, but it, the film was fine. I just wanted more out of it uh but yeah memory i don't remember <laughs> very well <laughs> that's one i thought about rewatching because i also didn't get a lot out of it but it's the kind of thing where the the reception it's getting now makes me wonder if i watched it and wasn't sleepy if i would maybe pull out more to to love than i got before but End of the year wasn't a time where I was going to try to put a movie on life support if it was nowhere near my top. I was only going to rewatch it if it was like, I think I love this movie. Let me battle test it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just because I can, I'm going to throw out just a couple more that are not pairings at the moment, but I really, really loved. One movie that I really wanted to get on my list was Blackberry. Uh, I actually, I like Blackberry a lot. Um, Really? That that is a movie about the the rise and fall of BlackBerry. It sounds like it would be a movie like Air or one of those other like we're just telling the true story of a company. Haha, ha, isn't this so funny? Um, I think it is very gripping. I think Glenn Howerton is amazing in BlackBerry. And as someone who has started a company and felt the kind of the push and pull of trying to keep it feeling small, but then also needing to grow and inevitably needing to become a little bit more corporate by growing. I think this movie nails it in a way that very, very, very few movies do. And I, I thought Blackberry was awesome. I honestly, that was in my top 10 multiple times today. And in the end, I just, I couldn't actually put it above some of the other things <laughs> in my list, but I fucking love that movie. Um, yeah. I've definitely heard positive things for it, but it's like, I would have never like, did it come straight to streaming? Did it have a theatrical run? 
No, it was straight to Hulu, I think. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so it, it didn't really get the bump that you would normally get. It was weird. A lot of movies were buried that way this year. Uh, another one that was buried straight to streaming um, is Society of the Snow, uh, which is a movie I caught up with just this weekend. Um, I have not seen, I think it's called Alive, the Ethan Hawke, John Malkovich movie from like the early 90s about the same story. Um, oh, it is, it is the same story? So, oh. Yeah, yeah. So this was my first experience with the story of... Um, Uruguayan rugby players who get stranded in the Andes and basically have to survive or try to survive for months in a wrecked plane in the freezing winter. Um, and it is just an amazingly harrowing, well-done survival story that doesn't feel hokey at all. And I, I, I really, really, really enjoyed this movie. I found it quite moving and also very cool and disturbing. It, it had an interesting, like, Stanford prison experiment vibes almost in a way that I can't explain. Um, but then it's out, but then it's also very moving in the, I don't know. Th there was something about that movie that really just uh, spoke to me in a way that yeah, I, I, you're nodding in some kind of recognition. No, I, I saw the trailer somehow. And then I was like, Oh, it's coming to Netflix like right now. <laughs> and I was planning on checking it out, but I haven't watched it yet. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't know it was the exact same. Like, Everything that is about a plane crashing, I go back to alive. Uh, but like, but yeah, I, I'm interested to check it out. I, the real question is, does it have Liam Neeson and does he fight a wolf? Because <laughs> if it doesn't, for, then... <laughs> for better or worse, I'm going to stipulate better. This is actually an Uruguayan cast rather than <laughs> Liam Neeson. <laughs> All right, I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Monster is another movie that I wanted to talk about, but because very few people have gotten a chance to see it and I haven't watched it a second time, I didn't feel confident enough to throw it in the list. But Coriada is always moving. This movie, I feel like, is extra moving and heartstring tugging and has an ending that is just like chef's kiss, beautiful. Um, it might be something I cheat and try to talk about next year, just because that might be where it seems eligible for most people. Yeah, I, that was one that... Um... The, I, I saw the trailer. I, I believe you, you mentioned it in our in your can stuff. Um, and mm -hmm. before Maestro, they played the trailer for it. Um, but I tried to see when it was playing, and it didn't say when anywhere. Um, so I may have tried to find it, but couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it's playing at the Roxy right now. Right I now know, it is okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the yeah. trailer for it looks great though. I'm I'm stoked to see it. Um, but I guess I'll have to make a trip down to the Roxy. Yeah. My my last two shout outs. One is just a revisit because we reviewed it and then I watched it again, which is May, December. And I am going to say viewing number two up to my feelings about that movie a lot. I think Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, and I am blanking on Melton's first name. Um, it, I, I think all of them are doing just amazing work in this movie. And it is nowhere near as kitschy or fake as i remembered uh like like it comes across much more as an interesting drama yeah. at least when i watched it the second time and yeah I, I think there's a lot to chew on there charles melton is his did, name did you be sure to the, make note of when the lisp appears and when it doesn't <laughs> i thought about it a lot yeah i do think it is interesting um, i it, it definitely seems to come and go in a meaningful and intentional way the very last one I'm going to say is a movie that I don't know if it's come out anywhere. I don't know if it's ever going to come out anywhere, um, but it's a movie from the Democratic Republic of the Congo called Omen, which was one of my favorite things that I caught at Cannes. Um, just a 
wild, almost like Tarantino-esque, like firecracker of a movie that is taking the idea of it's a guy who is from the Congo who lives in Belgium and he has a, a white fiance and he's bringing her home to meet his family. And it almost becomes a... Bo is afraid, not quite, but it's like the nightmare of the anxiety around her meeting the family and the clash between cultures and everything getting cranked to 11 in a way that is just like very vibrant, and also very queer, very extreme. And I, I loved it. This was the kind of movie that I couldn't believe wasn't getting more raves because I thought this was just a fantastic movie. Uh, I hope it finds an audience. I hope it comes out somewhere. But Omen is a movie to look for. For all I know, it's on streaming already, but I certainly didn't see it get announced anywhere. There's even more, but I'm done. I think that's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like, if I can complete a full sentence without coughing, that this brings us to the end of our recap of our favorite films of 2023. Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week. Where can they do that? People can find me on any social network at sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com, where hopefully at some point in the next few weeks, I will do some kind of write-up about this mythical top 20 pairing list that I claim to be doing but have not figured out at all yet. You heard it here. If you want to follow Stephen at sdavidmiller at truthsocial.com. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that, 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 that name might be taken over on that social network. <laughs> That's true, actually, yeah. I better grab it, just in case. <laughs> um, people can Find me on Gab. Find me on Truth. <laughs> follow my OnlyFans, where I'm going to reveal one pair <laughs> every day. These are the underwear I was wearing while I watched Zone of Interest. <laughs> <laughs> um, people can find me over at ChristopherRealLife.com or Christopher IRL a number of places including Social. you can find the podcast over at thespoilerthewarning.com where you can find a bunch of the back episodes of the show if you want to subscribe to the show you can do so in uh, Overcast YouTube Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found if you want to know when the episodes go live you can follow us at twitter.com slash facebook.com slash warning, or instagram.com slash warning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from a track selected from artlist.io, so hopefully you're enjoying that. Um, yeah, we made it through another year of films. Um, we're looking forward to uh, this next year of films. We might have some some new fun stuff planned uh, to sprinkle in there that we're still trying to work out, um, but look forward to hearing about that in the future. Um, I don't even know what the first film we're going to see of the year is, Stephen. I haven't even looked at the release calendar yet. Um, yeah, I have no idea what's coming out. Mostly what was important is getting this episode done. It is now recorded and in the can as soon as we hit uh, stop on this recording. Assuming the world doesn't crash and delete everything that we just recorded for the last two hours. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for what the future holds for us, Stephen. Um, hopefully it holds a full working voice that... Yes. I don't have to constantly mute my end of this call. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> All right. Let's take some NyQuil, go to sleep, and we'll see you next week with whatever the fuck comes out. Amen. You also just reminded me that I have a 6.15 a.m. call tomorrow. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, so I am going to go take some NyQuil. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye. <laughs> to me
to 